Welcome to Grantmaker Coffee Talks, a podcast for grantmakers to listen and learn from their peers. Today, we are moving away from talking about how grantmakers are responding to COVID in the short term and focusing more on long term. What are the successive waves of funding going to look like? This discussion comes from a webinar that was recorded on July 22nd. The topics covered were how this crisis has revealed deeper community needs and how it could potentially improve how funders work and the impacts they ultimately have. The first voice we are going to hear is Ashley Harper, who was the webinar moderator, followed by Betty Stammerjohn from the Community Foundation of Greene County. So I, I'm, I'm guessing that a lot of us are experiencing some, some fatigue around <laughs> the topic of COVID-19, the reality of COVID-19, um, but point is it, it, it continues and it has um, ramifications for uh, our work. So some of the things we were thinking about today is, you know, as this continues to go on and get worse in some situations, um, how, how is your funding adapting now? So, you know, with what lessons have been learned and how is your funding changing, perhaps changing again? Um, what are some changes in your strategy that, that data revealing the disproportionate effects of the pandemic on vulnerable populations? Have you made any changes in your strategy in light of that? And then how do we get better? How do we use this to um, do our work better? For, for those of you who are doing COVID relief or, or have been, or actually for those of you who aren't, I mean, you may have learned um, something that contributes to that decision. Um, so what are some of the lessons learned? I'd love for anyone to just start off on this, this ongoing pandemic. What does it mean? Betty Stammer, John, Community Foundation of Green County in Pennsylvania, southwestern Pennsylvania specifically. So we are a uh, small rural county, about 36,000 people. So now close to Pittsburgh, Allegheny County, which is a, a continuing hotspot sort of after a fashion in Pennsylvania. And then also about uh, 30 minutes from Morgantown, West Virginia, which is a hot spot in West Virginia. Um, but our COVID funding is specifically for Greene County organizations serving our, our residents and what we have learned. We're, and we're ongoing. We haven't, we didn't do one round and then another. We told them if, if you needed more money, come back. And we've actually had a couple do that. Um, to us, you know, come back for some additional funding. Um, just recently, what we have found, since Green County hasn't been a particular hot spot, so there are not a lot of people sick from COVID, but the impact has been on employees, the biggest impact on the nonprofits and how do we serve our clients uh, and keep our staff um 
safe. So, so we kind of quickly moved from emergency into how do they transition and pivot into doing, you know, providing those services to now what we're calling a recovery process where, you know, they're trying to figure out how do we keep going. Um, I haven't done the exact numbers on the different, um, we've done about 20, 21 grants. You know, we, don't, we haven't had a lot of money. Uh, you know, about 21 grants, totaling about $84,000. Most of those have been for, well, I, I'd probably about a third each, a third to help organizations purchase PPE so that their staff can serve clients. Uh, another half to provide um, you know, equipment or other things so that their staff can serve clients in different ways. And then the other third is for uh, rent, you know, abatement, you know, because the senior centers haven't been able to do fundraising. Um, you know, some organizations that served clients on, um, through building, you know, mental health, particularly related things, uh, in group settings have now found themselves having to do one-on-one -on -one individual um, services to their clients virtually, which doesn't always work, you know, and so the number of reimbursements has decreased. They've had a hard time, uh, you know, it, it's, it's reduced their operating expenses. So uh, we're, we're finding that that's probably going to continue uh, in, in what we're seeing. We're, our applications have kind of ebbed and flowed. Um, you know, they kind of slowed off for a while and we're getting ready to do a new, another four applications tomorrow another one was just submitted um and betty did you reallocate existing like a, a grant program did you reallocate that money we did some relief? of it so you know so for the community foundation when this first started we very quickly because i had a board meeting like you know a week and a half after things shut down a week after things shut down so we quickly allocated some of our community grant, our discretionary funding to establish this emergency response fund. And then, and then I had some donor advisors contribute to it through the community foundation and then support from the United Way uh, and then other funders in the region, private, public or businesses, you know, kind of thing and, and a lot of individuals have contributed little bits of money so, but we did reallocate some of our money so it meant that we weren't going to have a June round of our normal uh, grant making community grants that, that, which are small but what I've also noticed is most of the nonprofits aren't even thinking that way um, we'll do an October round for that and it may be more COVID stuff but uh, as opposed to program, right? That remains. Well, thank to be you. Seen. Thank you. I appreciate you speaking up. Hi, this is Linda Gebhardt. I'm from the Community Foundation of Southern Wisconsin. We cover nine counties. One of ours is Green County. 
um, <laughs> but not in Pennsylvania. We, um, we've done a lot of the allocating using, in Greene County, we've used Greene County United Way. We've been given some COVID relief donations from other businesses and things, and we've kind of funneled things through United Way and partnered with them because they have more access and it's we're a small staffed organization, our foundation, and they can allocate more for rent and salaries and things that had to be done through their agencies. We've done a lot of that, but yet we've done some grants on our own for helping with um, different um, sewing mask projects. We've done um, PPE and for the local library we did, it wasn't in their budget for all the um, sneeze guards and things, the barriers they need between computers. Um, so we've been kind of helping all along one-on-one -on -one with needs that come up of what they do um, and we're also not back to the office yet we're all working from home right it's sneeze guards that's the, I had not even thought about that but you see it in the supermarkets and such yep. the mm -hmm. barriers that obviously makes a lot of sense yeah thank you hello everyone um, my name is Tracy Johnson I am with poise foundation in Pittsburgh Pennsylvania in Allegheny County so it was good to hear from our neighbor in Greene County we are a community foundation but we are an african-american um, led and established community foundation so our funding focuses primarily on Black-led, Black-serving um, organizations within um, Allegheny County and um, some parts of Beaver County. Um, so interestingly enough, when all of this hit, we were pretty much in the middle of um, our spring grant cycle, which we put on hold. And um, we started a fund that was actually seeded into um, by the Heinz Endowment and RK Mellon Foundation to establish this critical community needs fund to focus on small to medium-sized um, Black-led, Black-serving nonprofits in Allegheny and Beaver County. Um, a lot of, you know, the organizations that we deal with tend to fall into fall into that small to medium size and for us we define that by organizations that were that have budgets of six hundred thousand dollars or less and that you know had um staff of you know 10 people or less and so um we had um we thought about you know and we did like you know some surveys um i did some focus groups with current grantees former grantees um, and people who, you know, organizations that applied before that were never funded um, and was just following what was happening on the ground in some of our most vulnerable communities, um, both within Allegheny County and in Beaver, to, um, to try to see like what the needs were. And so when we came out with this fund, we had um, a fundraising goal because we had to raise funds for it. So the development team had developed a fundraising goal of like, you know, $750,000 and we were able to exceed that goal. And we have continuously um, from donors, not just, you know, within um, Allegheny County or, you know, or anywhere near Southwestern Pennsylvania, but we have gotten donations from as far as Canada um, of individuals donating into 
um, the fund. Um, our general grant making tends to be small, but with this fund, um, organizations could apply for up to $25,000. Um, and we used um, that fund for to support organizations that were providing those critical needs um, in our marginalized communities. So whether it was food, diapers, masks, um, PPE, um, cleaning equipment, things of that nature. We also used it to support um, those organizations which you know were which needed help with financial stability so um, we had a lot of churches that applied um, to this particular fund that we were able to support because they were um, not able to um, you know congregations are no longer meeting so that means that you know donations and stuff are down and so how do those churches maintain and so we were able to support um, organizations that needed just some financial stability to kind of you know make it through the next you know three to maybe six months um, we were able to support organizations that were pivoting from what they normally did so you know we had some programs that were you know meeting with families every week and now they're no longer able to meet but families still had needs and so instead of having those meetings they pivoted to you know provide food and supplies for families that um, have um, special needs children that are you know that aren't able to um, receive all the supports that they were accustomed to receiving and so um, we've been you know able to really focus and tailor like priority areas um, we've had some organizations that focus on um, small businesses um, providing them you know with information and supports we've been able to fund some of those projects and we've also been able to fund some health related projects by um, some supports from health organizations and interestingly enough um, we just had in mind like we truly made this a rapid response um, organizations submitted their applications they were reviewed within a week decisions were made in a week so we learned that we could make decisions quickly we learned um, that that, you know we could make payments through ACH and not you know necessarily you know have to do a check for everybody so we learned kind of how to expedite our internal processes in order to meet the needs and get those dollars out um, to the community and so our goal was just to you know um, keep doing grants until we had spent down the money and every time that we got to a point where we were like okay we're about to spend down we're on our last 15,000 and it's about to be over we would get like a hundred thousand um, dollar you know a, we get a hundred thousand dollar grant you know in order to like you know keep this you know fund open and so the fund remains open applications remain open um, but we're starting to see a little bit of a dwindle um, now and I think you know we have a lot of you know dollars floating around in our marginalized communities both um, in Allegheny and in Beaver County but um, we definitely think that you know come the fall we might see um, a, a resurgence of that um, especially if Allegheny County continues to be um, a hot spot with our cases upticking but mm -hmm. so far organizations are you know doing um you know they're doing well and i think the biggest learning process for us was like how to expedite this process how to mobilize our board um you know our distribution committee to make decisions how to make the application simple we didn't want anything that was long we wanted it to be very simple very straightforward that you know um organizations that had never applied for a grant could like fill it out and complete it so like that was our focus and that's what we learned um throughout this process Excellent. Thank you, Tracy. It's good to hear your voice.
Yes, good to hear you, Ashley. <laughs> this is John from the Akron Community Foundation in Akron, Ohio. When we uh, first started our fund back in March, uh, we pur purposely did not include COVID in the name of the fund. We, we named it the Community Response Fund for Nonprofits. And the overall goal was to provide um, basic need services to organizations that were at that time providing services to those who were impacted by COVID. So food, clothing, shelter, rent, utility assistance, mental health services. Uh, we made um, an initial $250,000 gift to the fund. And we took that from a, a capital round of grant making that we had planned to do this year. Mm -hmm. But based on everything that was going on, we realized that this probably isn't the year to be doing uh, capital grant making. So we right. seeded it with that. We've since raised an additional $450,000. Um, so the fund was at about $650,000. We've made um, 113 grants to uh, nonprofits, totaling about $453,000. And as the previous caller said, it's kind of dwindling now. And we realize that uh, COVID is a pandemic, but we also realized in the last month to two months that racism has now become a pandemic in our community. So we have shifted our focus not only to fund COVID-related projects, but also to fund um, racism-type projects in our community that will help with that pandemic. So we're just about to kick those off and um, already have some really great applications. And, and would you say, John, are those um, issues of racism that are quite obvious at this point, um, are those related to COVID cases to vulnerable populations being um, affected more, or are we just talking more, you know, the national climate? Yeah, just, just the national climate of what we, we all are experiencing. And um, it, it's hit home, it's hit close to home here in Akron. And um, the organizations that we are funding or hope to fund are ones that are going to help uh, help the community heal, um, come up with some actionable solutions to how we could address this as a community. So we're, we're anxious to uh, throw some money in the ring to, to help alleviate this issue. Yeah, excellent. Thank you. Thanks for bringing that up. In spite of just the funding you're doing right now, like the emergency type funding, um, are there are there other changes that you're considering or that you have made uh, in strategy in light of either the pandemic or um, other national events? Uh, yes, I'm with the Colburn Foundation, and we're. Um Based in Los Angeles, our mission is to support classical music organizations in Southern California. And, um, you know, basically all of our groups are shut down for the moment. There are no concerts, uh, just maybe a few exceptions to that. But we do a lot of support also in music education uh, locally. And uh, quite a number of our organizations uh, deal with low income and poverty level students. And, you know, they've all these music education programs have pretty much gone online to provide online classes and workshops, but a good percentage of students have either no Wi-Fi access at home or they have no uh, laptops or tablets. So we're really um, considering, in the past we have not really done a lot of equipment support for our grantees, but now we're really opening that up because there's such a great need um, and, you know, <clears throat> with our current grantees, uh, we've forgiven, you know, we've actually just 
gone ahead and not asked for any of our uh, funds to be returned because, you know, we're trying to support all the musicians who have, you know, are facing these really incredible challenges of just maintaining a lifestyle and, and their um, livelihoods. So that's where, uh, that's something that we're really faced with. And it's, it's really the digital divide that uh, is so uh, apparent. And, and so are you, when you say, um, you know, more funding for this type of uh, equipment technology, would this be for your, just for grantees or for them to distribute, like you said, for the students? And well, it would be for, for the grantees to, yeah, to distribute among their, uh, their students. Yeah, so many, so many things we hadn't considered. <laughs> Before. Right. Um, and then there's also just the whole uh, aspect of, well, you know, which a lot of schools are dealing with now. Uh, a lot of the students, some of the students who are really motivated do really well with the, the classes and the, uh, you know, uh, lessons online and the workshops, but a lot of them aren't doing as well. So yeah. there's that, that issue too that we're dealing with. Yeah, thank you, Felix. I appreciate oh, that. Welcome. Thank you. Hi, I'm Mike DeHilster. I'm the pro, one of the program officers at the Pasadena Community Foundation. And, you know, just kind of wanted to talk about the sort of rhythm of our giving because like many of you, of course, when we created our fund, it was for, you know, things like food pantries, senior issues. And, you know, that was phase one. Phase two was a little bit broader but still focused on immediate needs and then we you know we thought phase three was going to be reopening you know supporting reopening but that's not going very well so we're especially here in los angeles county where cases are spiking uh like very badly so you know and you know so over the summer we were surveying our nonprofits and finding out what they the needs and they're similar to what they were. Um, you know, we decided to do some staff-driven funding over the summer rather than application-driven, and then we were you know going to use the survey results uh, to formulate guidelines for an application another application process um, coming that which would have been coming up soon. Now we're thinking. Well, we've, we've been talking to all of these folks, these nonprofits, that we're not going to have an application process because it's going to be inefficient. And we're starting to feel like we need to stay nimble, very, very nimble, uh, because you know, reopening and closing down and reopening has been you know, kind of eye-opening in terms of the need to retain flexibility. Yeah, I would imagine that um, organizations who've who've been able to in the past do a good job of trust-based funding but but have closer relationships with grantees where an application isn't as necessary then yeah let's dispense with it right and we're we're obviously a small geographic area uh, basically in uh, just the Pasadena Unified School District so we we know our nonprofit partners extremely well and are able to do that so um, you're, you're right about that kind of advantage that we have. And any, any resistance from board or committees or staff? Within, within our organization, yeah. I mean, they yeah. can, you know, 
after phase two, you know, that it went well enough, the board was pleased enough with it that for the first time, actually, they gave staff the ability to start making grants without, you know, without a board vote. Um, you know, they'll, they'll just reaffirm that later. And so we carried that through the summer and now we're thinking about carrying it into to the next part. Um, just in, you know, in part not to burden our, you know, nonprofit partners with another application when we know so very well what they're going through right now. So, yeah. yeah. Excellent. That's uh, honestly for us at Foundant um, talking with clients, it's, it's been, um, it's very, I don't know, touching and um, inspiring how it, everything we hear is we want to remove the burden. We want to make it easier, We're trying to be more flexible. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's been really good to hear all of that. Is there anyone who'd like to speak to their experience with, with CARES? I know we've had a lot of Humanities councils um, who have been doing that type of funding. Um, yeah, I'm with the Wyoming Community Foundation, and our CARES funding um, got a little bit complicated. Our um, legislators were in charge of how that would be distributed, and there was some worry at the beginning that nonprofits were going to be left out of that round, the first round of CARES funding, and we were assured that that was not the case. Um, a lot of discussion back and forth back and forth and the long and the short of it is um, the legislators that they wanted us included, but when it finally went to the governor and some other things happened, all nonprofits were left out of the first round of CARES funding. So none of our nonprofits have yet received their CARES funding. We are in line to receive this next round, which will be coming out very soon, but that has made it um, quite a bit more difficult for organizations who are really just trying to get by um, and for us to, re, you know, recognize, okay, wh which organizations um, qualified for kind of the uh, PPE and how can we best um, insert ourselves or assist these organizations, um, knowing that that is also part of what we're looking at as a community. Yeah. Thank you. It's hard to do all that work on your end to not be able to accomplish what you set out to. Um, are there other uh, organizations working on CARES who'd like to chime in? Yeah, um, so my name is Mark. I'm with um, another Humanities Council, um, the Illinois Humanities Council in Chicago. Um, and so like a lot of Humanities Councils, we are a nonprofit that raises money um, for programming, et cetera, but we've also historically basically always been a grant maker also. Um, so we learned in really early April that we were gonna be getting uh, COVID support um, through the CARES Act, um, something like April 13th at 8.48, 8 a.m., but who's counting? <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, and so we kicked into action. I mean, we're, it's a great team. Um, we have good support on staff, um, a lot of program people who pitched in to help with the grant-making side. Um, someone else earlier mentioned foregoing sort of our usual um, processes. Usually it's a letter of inquiry that then goes to a full proposal, usually, all grants go before a board committee for approval, et cetera. Um, we knew right off the bat that just because of the sheer sort of 
need as well as the volume of grant making that we'd have to um, expedite things. And so um, we created online forms, created rubrics for evaluators to assess grant proposals, um, had uh, you know a lot of things put in motion quickly. Um, I'm pleased with the plan, but someone else also mentioned, mentioned flexibility earlier. And we did a lot of uh, changes along the way so that this would work well, um, so that um, uh, I, any number of things. But you know, you guys know how grant making works. The the devil is in the details. And um, someone mentioned making grant applications as simple as we could. Um, we did the same thing. Um, remember that from the standpoint of the CARES Act, this is basically a jobs program, meaning that at the end of the day, what they're hoping to see, and the reason that arts groups and humanities councils were included um, in this legislation was to make sure that jobs continue, that people are able to continue paying rent and expenses, et cetera. Um, also that consultants and others are included. Um, what we did that I think was, was creative was that, first of all, there was a gen op pool and we had two rounds um, in April and May, general operating support to um, literally hundreds, I think it was like 150 groups across the state of Illinois. And then we had two programs, one for groups to digitize their archives and their engagement. And the third round, which we're actually just finishing up right now, um, was for groups to tell the story essentially through the humanities and through the arts of how their communities are experiencing COVID. So, but all, if you did a, an x-ray of each program, they're basically about money going to people, to personnel, but framed in several different ways. Um, it's been an amazing learning experience. Um, we still have a ways to go. Um, uh, yeah, I could share more and I'll shut up, but it's, it's really <laughs> been a remarkable experience. We're also based way up in Northeast Illinois and Chicago and always have to make sure that, um, that all of our grant making is truly statewide. And so of course that's been a priority throughout also. It's great to hear from everybody. Yeah, thank you. What are some of the, the ways um, that we're gonna get better? Julie Hitchens from the Community Foundation of Marshall County, Iowa. Hi, Julie. Uh, a little bit unique. Um, this is our second disaster in two years. We had a horrific tornado two years ago um, and are not quite recovered, and now we have COVID. And um, I joined the Community Foundation post-tornado, so I've, I've been in the recovery end. Um, and the thing that we learned um, was that, and I, I put it in the chat, <clears throat> you've really got to seed your disaster recovery fund. Um, Post-tornado, you know, we were the only ones with the crisis. So the donations were frankly incredible and everybody came running. Um, with COVID, um, everybody had a crisis. Uh, we have a, a population that um, didn't necessarily get government assistance. Um, for a lot of reasons, which makes me very sad. Uh, luckily, we had some tornado recovery money left over um, because individuals have been helped. We're really working on the real rebuild part um, now. And um, we could activate that tornado recovery money to help those individuals 
um, affected by COVID, can't work, no government assistance, basic needs, rent, utilities, and food. So I would implore you to make sure your disaster recovery fund is seated before your disaster. Um, even if we have a second wave, we'll be seated for that um, or a future disaster, but you really can't start from zero. You need, you know, don't spend all your money. That's hard to do in our world, but don't spend all your money and keep it there because um, our federal dollars did not arrive in Iowa until June. That would have been too late for um, probably 75 families. So uh, seed your fund. Um, and that's the story I'm telling to donors too. Even if we don't use it today, it'll be there for tomorrow. Very good. That's, can't emphasize that enough, I'm sure. Hi, yeah, I, uh, I work with um, the Sisters of St. Joseph and we have some granting and gifting money. And um, one of the things that we, I think, um, help move beyond normal, that's something that's gonna help us get better in the future. And I know I've heard some of you speaking of doing this is, we, we really initiated a process where we um, spent time talking with our grantees, our current grantees, and other people in our communities around where our sisters live to really understand the needs better from their perspective, rather than assuming what the needs might be or um, basing it on what we were just kind of hearing or reading about. We, we tried to really do a quick exploration. Some people used focus groups. I, so I think that's important, at least um, it is for us, that for us to get better at what we're doing and move beyond the normal, we have to be in regular conversations with um, people in our communities and with those, both the populations that we serve and the most vulnerable people we serve, as well as some of the organizations that are um, helping to provide those kind of services. Yeah, you have to think that um, communication I mean, it's changed for everyone. In that, we are all experiencing, you know, the new new ways to communicate, um, which hopefully gives us a little more empathy and ability to to listen. That's a very good point. Yeah, one thing I forgot is um, I found it really important with our um, pandemic or disaster funding for this is. Um, it was very easy to do because we had had conversations. We kind of formed a cohort um, of funders and providers. I mean, we're rural Iowa, so we're smaller. So we had a real good beat on what the needs are with the community. And then if I could go to my board grant committee and say, I'm confident that these grant apps were very easy, that we made them easy, but you know, they need this money. Um, that was an easy answer. So I think you have to be ingrained with those that you are funding um, and those grants will come very easily. If it's out of right field, my board is not gonna have a comfort level, but if I've talked with them and, and know who they're serving and why they're serving, it's a much easier sell to get that grant approved. So I think really being immersed with the um, organization you fund is very, very important at this point. Wholeheartedly agree, thank you. Hi, it's Erin, I'm with Allegheny Franciscan Ministries in Florida, I don't think anyone from Florida spoke yet. Mm -hmm. um, so I think I put a comment in 
that about the importance of working with funders in the area and just so you just everyone has limited money and but other funders have different experiences and can really contribute to your your own understanding or not able to under to maybe know everything that's going on and have all those relationships in the community but maybe your other funders do because they serve different niches with covid we this time and you know we always have a disaster here in florida with hurricanes and also um this year the groups really came together and we fund six counties they really came together um quickly very quickly and were able to get funding out the door so we really did very limited direct funding to grant partners um we bundled um, we made grants to collaboratives and worked with them and so different staff worked with different collaboratives based on uh, geography and it's just we're, we're continuing to meet that like others have mentioned that that money has dwindled down we're looking at housing evictions now the eviction crisis that's looming um, you know we have limited amount of money to support that but we're supporting you know navigation and, and um, legal aid services to help kind of stave off some of that um, pending um, evictions that are coming up but we're continuing to meet and talk and think about and address issues and we really haven't we've done that on different levels before especially in the Tampa Bay area but we're doing it even more consistently and regularly now which has really been a good thing and I was just kind of reaching out to the we funded Miami Dade and Palm Beach as well and um, just I don't I'm not I'm not um, physically there I'm in the Tampa Bay area so I don't I'm not as aware, aware of that those relationships as well but those came together um, quickly and they're continuing to have those conversations too so I just it's been very um, it's, it just seems like a very wise way to, to utilize everyone's limited resources and staffing and money. Um, so, yeah, yeah. If we if we can't collaborate and and work together now, yeah. when can we do that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Better, more listening, more collaboration, um, being prepared in in literally seeking your emergency response fund. Those are all. Those are all important lessons. This was just yeah. in response to the comment recently about uh, supporting arts and humanities programs. Um, I forgot to mention that you know, you know, we do also still support performing arts organizations, and the bulk of them have really moved to streaming of uh, a lot of archived concerts, um, and uh, many of them have had to cancel their galas but they've done them online and so for a lot of these organizations just having that exposure is really vital because this is like a, a really existential threat to them all so we've also you know approved uh, requests for uh, video and media technicians to help them in in uh, navigating all of this and some of them have also said well some of the music education programs too that are really um, more successful have told us that even after COVID-19 they're going to continue with all of this virtual outreach because it's really helped increase access to a lot of these programs. Yeah, yeah. So I just wanted to add that. Yeah, thank you. That's that's an, an excellent use of, of funding and technology. Um, 
and Mimi points out that, um, you know, that she's, she and her organization taking the view that we need the arts organizations to be there in the future, period. And I would underline that several times, um, you know, regardless of whether or not they're performed right now and you can support a particular performance. Um, Right. Yeah, we certainly and, need them in the future. Yes, and here in California, as you all know, our cases are really surging, and and uh, these large uh, audience events and sports events, you know, we're all in that very last category to be able to open up. So who knows how long that's going to be? So yeah, they really do need support and uh, through this period. All true. Um, well, again, I do want to. We, we can still um, end, but I want to go ahead and thank everyone for this conversation. These coffee talks, we've just gotten more and more participation and really appreciate your um, willingness to engage and share with your peers and do hope that you will continue this and other conversations. And we look forward to hearing from you on the next coffee talk. So that was our conversation. There were so many ideas and so many new ideas because this is a new situation. We're going to keep bringing you conversations like this following the coffee talks that we host online. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. You can look for announcements on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn by following Found in Technologies. And we want to hear from you. Unlike a lot of podcasts out there, you can participate yourself by registering for one of our Coffee Talk webinars. You can register for a webinar or access additional resources by clicking on the links in the episode notes. So from everyone at Founded Technologies, thanks for listening. We hope you found it helpful, and we can't wait to connect with you again on our next Coffee Talk 